welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the World of Speakers podcast. And we are talking with Sally Z, who is not only a speaker, she's a speaker coach, and she's an author who just wrote a book called Speaking Story. So there's a lot of S's and a lot of speaking in there. (laughs) And uh, ironic, maybe, you know, with the last name Z, there's a lot to be determined, especially your... (laughs) How you go in line when everything is, um, you know, is alphabetical, but I'm sure. At the end. Or at the, at end, the yes. end of the line, Ryan. <laughs> yes. Well, we're actually coming full circle around the world because this is a second conversation. It's been years, though. So it's great to see you and excited to have you on. And congratulations on your new book. I heard some word on the street that you're hitting all these number ones and people will be able to go out there and grab this and read it and obviously become better at speaking if they actually take what you say and try it. Yeah. I will admit that I have a lot of books on my shelf that I have not read. But does it make you feel good to have it? It does. And it's pretty, I mean, these are just my book right now, but you know, I love a good like rainbow color books on the shelf. Sometimes I'm like, I need a yellow, I need a yellow, you know, and I have the best of intentions. Yeah, we actually, I'm I'm more of a listener of the books right now. Okay, fair enough. It's the same thing. It's the information you get. We, my my wife, when I say we, I mean my wife, she organized our bookshelf in color coordination. And it's interesting. It's like kind of this big rainbow of colors and it's fun to see it all pan out. But it is amazing how much information is in our brains and our heads and to put it down paper and speak on the stage. And I'm always fascinated with how there's no lack of information by any means. (laughs) And it's a matter of people taking initiative to first decide what information they want to take. Then they have to make the time to basically receive it or in the ears or in the eyes. And then you're still not done because you get this like this excitement around new information. But unless you actually apply it and try it and practice it and do it and do it, then it just sort of becomes that exciting information with no delivery. So I'm excited today. By the end of the show, hopefully we'll have some an opportunity to get to know you a little bit more and your tips from the book, probably around the art of speaking and maybe even business building when it comes to speaking. So yeah. great. Welcome. Thank you. It's really fun to see you again. It is. It is. Let's start with a story. And ironically, you know, I think <laughs> you're going to nail this one since your book is called oh. Speaking Story. <laughs> No pressure. Know, it's kind of a high pressure situation, isn't it? <laughs> and if you need to I crack, yeah, if you need to crack the book open and just read <laughs> from the book, you know that can work too. Uh, I thought about it. I thought about it. <laughs> I mean, I feel this sort of meta experience all the time because I speak about speaking. That's not the only thing I speak about, but I'm often like, "Ooh, you better be good, Sally," because you are talking about the things you're doing, the thing that you talk about, and it, it is a little higher pressure. But the story I would love to share will bring everybody into a high school gym. Okay. So just imagine you are in a high school gym and I was in my first real professional job as a speaker. I'm 26 years old, potentially somewhere around there. After college, before kids, it was a sweet, sweet time. (laughs) And I was touring the country, talking to kids about these really big ideas like kindness and courage and respect. And I don't know if you have teenagers or no teenagers, but they're not necessarily jazzed about the idea of being talked at by a very happy blonde white lady about the ideas of respect and kindness and courage. So I knew that it was going to be a challenge, but I have this vivid memory standing in front of 159th graders and really feeling in my body that they were not with me. And I had written the most beautiful script is I'm a, I'm a really good script writer. It had some amazing like mic drop one-liners. I was so jazzed to be there and felt really passionate about this message. But I was like, 
they are not with me right now. And I, it was all these visual cues that told me so, like people literally not looking up at me, turned towards each other and, you know, drawing in the dust on the gym floor and, you know, noogie fights happening. I was just like, okay, so I am losing them. I'm losing them. Now, I did have some stories in the script, but I was leading up to them. I was trying to like build into the moment. And in that moment, I just thought, okay, I need to just stop talking and get to the story. And I bypassed like this beautiful part of the script I was really excited about and got right into the story and started telling the story about a young man I'd met on retreat a few days before who just had this really powerful story about how he stood up for himself. That little bit of it doesn't really matter because all I can tell you is that as soon as I started telling the story about a kid their age that they could relate to, they could start imagining this experience happening between their own classmates, it was like a light switch turned on. It was all of their busy little heads just slowly turned and just started moving and watching me. And I thought, oh, wow. Okay. Stories. I needed more stories. I needed stories in different places. I needed to lean into stories because the beautiful script did not matter. They were not engaged. They didn't get it. They had no connection or meaning from it. They really needed the story to help them understand why it mattered, why it mattered to them. And to really, it was like like a test. Do you get us, Sally? Do you really understand what our lives are like? Because we're very different. Like my ninth grade world is very different than your 26 year old world. And they were not wrong. And so I learned to flip that script and start with story to use story as the tool to hold up the points and the messages that I desperately wanted them to get and understand. And without it, I was doing okay. But with the story, I saw this huge difference in terms of their belief in and engagement with the ideas from that experience. And so I went off to grad school to figure out why that was and got a master's degree in persuasion and studied lots and lots of speeches. I was out giving lots of speeches also, and I learned why, why it is like why stories are so, so powerful. And it is because they are an emotional container and we need to feel if we want to change and change the way we think and the way that we act. Feeling is an essential component and stories really provide that for us in a powerful way. Interesting. So now, had, yeah, then, then that was the turning point. Now you've got a book called, yeah. <laughs> called Speaking Story. Yes. Now in the yes, book, yes. do you reference that story? I do. Yeah. Okay. And I go a little more in depth because it's a book and you can. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of what you're saying resonates with me. I can relate to a time where I have a I have a buddy who teaches fourth grade and he brings in guest speakers. And this was only a couple of years ago. Uh, so well, pre-pandemic, so a few years ago. And I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, yeah, can maybe you speak about public speaking? And so I had this shtick. I had my stories. I had my stuff. And my goodness, within just the first few minutes, like, I mean, I haven't hung out with fourth graders recently uh, or really since, but it was just the same thing. They were just disconnected. They were just distracted. It was just not into it. Try to get them up moving around and stuff. And it is so fast to have that disconnect. But as you're saying, a story can create that actual connection. But it's hard for me to believe that it took till you were 26 to make this realization. Was this really like a sneak attack story or did you really know beforehand and you just didn't move stories early enough in that spot? You know, I had always told stories and stories were a part of it. The powerful realization was where they belonged in the script, like how important it was to move the story in front of the point because, and you see it all the time, what people often do is they use the story to prove the message that they've just shared. They're going to tell a bunch of things and then they tell the story like, see, like an example. Here's an example of when it happened like that. Now, do you believe me? Now, do you believe that this message is so important? 
And because of the context of teenagers who were like, I don't care what you're talking about. Yes. It was so obvious versus adults who I think will be like, "Mm, I'm hearing you, but I don't believe you. Right? Right. And so when you flip the story in front of the message, which can feel weird at first, but I promise you there's lots of good reasons to do it. One of them being when we hear a story, our brain remains open to it because we don't know exactly what you're trying to tell us yet. And especially in adults, if you start with the point and then use the story to prove that point, audiences, I'm sure you can imagine this, are like, I already know how I feel about them. Nope. Mm, really? Hmm. I don't think so. Right. And so it becomes a, you have to convince people in a different way rather than leveraging this, all the brain friendly aspects of storytelling. And people are like, Oh, Oh, and what happened? Oh my gosh. So before they even know it, they are feeling your point without even having to say anything. And like so, it. yeah, it's, it's super magical. Um, well, so, I mean, no, I, yeah, I had been telling stories, but it was just the most obvious, like we have to move the stories to a different place. What did you study in college? What was your major or majors? I was a theater and English major. Interesting. I was a theater and business economics. <gasps> oh, that's a great combo. <laughs> yeah. And I actually went in undeclared and funny story around that. I got, I basically had an emotional breakdown during orientation because I was an honor student. So I got to choose any classes and this book was this thick and I went to UCSB and I was just like, I just could not make a decision. So I had my mom decide classes for me and I didn't look at them till the first day I showed up at this crazy classroom. I was like, this is an amazing classroom. Like, this is great. You know, red velvet seats. Like I had not really been in a theater like that at all. Oh my god! And I flirted next to some girl the whole time and heard extra yeah. credit at the end. And then I went to this thing for extra credit. The girl didn't show up. They called my name. They gave me a piece of paper. They said, read this. I sat down. I read it. They all laughed. I was so upset. I cried, skateboarded home. Maybe one of the few times I've cried and skateboarded. Like usually those don't mesh together. Yeah, yeah. And it ends up that it was an audition. I just had no idea. I got cast into a student run play fell in love with the connection to the audience and then got yeah. cast and acted, acted, produced, produced, directed, directed, and just thought I was going to be in Hollywood and film and production. Yeah. And that's another yeah. story. But, you know, it's funny how if you look at the pivotal moments in our lives, like the first set of classes you take, what majors you yeah. end up with, you can always reverse engineer to the stories that happen. And it fascinates me how many people don't recognize the stories that they have. And I work a lot of uh, times with people and speakers and whether it's TEDx or whether it's a keynote or even just something that's like at their local event. And it is all about the stories because that's something that you own that gets people to know you. And you'll be proud of me. Every podcast, I have three podcasts. Every single one starts with the same question. Tell me a story that shaped you. Every talk I give, the first slide is always, let me tell you a story. And I come up with some story that relates to what needs to happen. Like I gave a talk about AI and I made, I told a story when I was speaking in Ghana and I got pulled onto this dance floor and was just totally sidelined by it, but it ended up being a kind of a fun experience. And I related using AI to dancing. And so just stories become metaphors, become things that are not just speaking at them. And so I I love that approach. Mm -hmm. They're such heavy lifters for us in our speaking. And, you know, Some people, especially if you speak in a business context, I hear sometimes like, well, but that's like touchy feely and I don't want to make it feel like I'm wasting people's time and there's they have to be patient for the payoff and people are just like, just tell us the things. I'm like, okay, well, everything is context dependent, right? Like you can tell a story in 30 seconds, friends. Like you does not need to be a four minute buildup of a thing because the context may not really truly allow for that, but we're undercutting the role and the heavy lifting that stories can do and can the role that they can play in helping you do your job and helping you communicate that idea and helping you pitch something and helping you really, like you said, connect with the audience and deliver this message that you want to get across. Like stories check all kinds of boxes for us in that approach. So okay, even if two... it's touchy-feely, you got to go. You got to do yeah. it. All right. A couple of hot pot questions here for you. Yeah. What do you think is holding people back from telling more stories? 
most people think that they aren't storytellers, that they don't have what it takes. They aren't entertaining. They aren't an extrovert. They aren't funny. They aren't a performer. They lead a boring life. They don't have any stories to tell. Like there's a lot of internal stories that people tell to themselves about what it takes to do this. And after doing this for 25 years, I can tell you that it's just all baloney. It really is. It's all learnable, but it is a craft and it is something to learn and to invest in, in terms of your own development, but anybody can do it. Anybody. Yeah. Life is about stories. The stories you tell others and the stories you tell yourself. I'm a big believer in cognitive dissonance and that you will find data that supports what you believe. And you know, what you yeah. think is what you say and what you say is what happens. So, yeah. you know, if, if people close the door, I'm not a storyteller. Well, then you're going to look for all the data that supports that's the case. If you yeah. just change that initial story and be like, well, it's something I'm open to and I'm working on, then all of a sudden you'll yeah. see data that supports it. Yeah. Another quick hot pocket question, and we'll move on to the next section. This is setting up for where we're going. Do you feel that people are more inclined initially or instinctively to tell stories with like the good stories, the successful stories, the stories when things worked out, as opposed to the stories where you're in front of high school and a high school class and or a fourth grade class. And you're like, admittedly, like I lost their attention. Uh, they were wrestling with each other. Do you feel yeah. people instinctively think that the stories they tell need to have a positive spin? Or do you, do you think, or does your research show that they're open to the bad or ugly stories? Well, it's funny because most people, when they are the speaker, and especially if they feel like, oh my gosh, this is a, a moment where I'm trying to set myself up as the credible leader or expert, they feel like I have to just share all of the, here's what I've done, all of the successes, like the hero of this. When I interviewed the Dalai Lama, when I got first place yes. in this award, and when I was, you know, CIF champion... Exactly. Exactly. And yet, if you put yourself in the audience, and I'm sure you can think of the people who bravely share about the difficult journey getting there, like the things that they learned, the mistakes that they've made, where they are not the hero, the one where it all works out. Audiences appreciate brave. They applaud brave. And it's not brave to be like, I did this and I did that and I did this. And that's not brave. That's bragging, right? <laughs> and it, what ends up happening is if you're in the audience and all you're hearing are the things that worked out well and how great it all was, it's really easy to go, okay, well, you can do that. Good for you. Good for you. But I am over here struggling, right? So a great example, I used to work with a, a parent coach and she would go out and, you know, talk to parents about how to, how to parent better. And she was a great speaker, like really, really talented, but didn't want to thought that her credibility would take a hit if she talked about her own failings as a parent, yeah. if she talked about what was hard for her. And I was like, I got to tell you, I have three kids at home and I am like just barely holding it together. And unless you tell me that it was hard for you, I'm going to be like, I'm never going to get there. I'm a bad parent. Clearly you're a good parent. I'm a bad parent. Like it just created this gap of connection between the speaker and the audience. And so our job as speakers is to continuously pull ourselves off of the pedestal that we get put on and you get put on and you feel pressure about just say, uh, -uh actually I'm going to, I've got to come and be as relatable, be as in the you know, pain with you as possible. It is truly an empathy exercise speaking. If you're doing it right, you should be in it with them on that. Good. I, I agree with you. My book is called Ditch the Act, and it's all about oh. how that vulnerability and actually transparency helps people find relatability. A lot of times people confuse experience with expertise. And I talk about this a lot, especially when you ask people, what do you think is more important? And most people think that your expertise is more important, but experience <laughs> is what you have to have in order to be considered an expert. And so they just yeah. try to jump over that and yeah. experience is what you get just after you need it. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So yeah. One, of, one of the things I share with, with my clients all the time and just people, as long as they'll listen, is that people don't care about your stories of success. They care about how they see themselves in your story. And that's exactly what you're right. talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Beautifully put. I love that. And that's what I think is so magical and really kind of wild about stories is when you tell them well, like when you create this imaginative connection and I start talking about Matt in first grade, who I love to chase around on the playground. And we used to like run through the swings and the pebbles would crunch through it. But Judy, the playground lady would like blow her whistle at us. Like I can tell that story about my playground and Matt and Judy and the pebbles, but you are seeing in your mind, you're seeing a specific playground that has nothing to do with mine. Yeah. I literally thought about the playground where I would get, you know, bullied, beat up, pushed around, not chosen for the team. So your story, however fluffy and on the swings, I just remember like it being a very lonely time, but it brought me to like that scene. Like you created the scene for me to go into. Exactly. And so it's this co-creation. And as soon as you can get your audience to see the story in their own heads, to imagine, even if it's not your story, they're seeing their own story now they're going to remember what you're saying because you have built an image in their head that is of their own making and that is theirs. And yes. that's the beautiful thing about what we can do with stories. All right. So let's make a beautiful transition into the second okay. part of the show, which is always around some sort of art of speaking. And I would love to know your breakdown of what makes for a good story. I have mine. I talk about this a lot as well. So I'll interject okay. where I see fit, but I really want to hear your perspective. Do you have a structure, a format, a minimum requirement. I know I do. And I'd love to hear from you what that looks like. Yeah. I call it a, really, it's a persuasive framework and stories are the essential element and tool in this persuasive framework, but it's based on MMM. It stands for moment, meaning, and move. And when you do this well, when you kind of leverage the MMM, you are going to have a much bigger impact. People are going to be much more connected to what it is that you're saying. This is how we persuade people. And mm, the important thing- I just said, because mm, that's how it's mm, pronounced, right? Mm. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's the mm framework. I should maybe use that. That's great. It's also, I mean, there's also like the WWW, but flipped upside down. This is like the, the most un... If like the internet is like a <laughs> WWW and you flip right. it around- well, it's, like mm. the, the MMM is kind yeah. of like this in person, this like not digital, but like this. Anyways. All right. Oh, my gosh. Mm. I really like where you how you're riffing with me on this, Ryan. That's so good. You can, I can see like www dot, you know, blank. And then you just flip it and you're like, you're creating your own Internet, your own world, your own frame. And I'm assuming that's where the these three elements come into. Yes, yes, exactly. So moment, meaning, and move, you can use this framework to essentially structure any kind of message where you want to convince somebody of something. And let's be real, most of our messages are with the intention of trying to persuade people about something. We just don't always talk about it in that way. And the important thing is that you start with a moment, and the moment is your story. And I like to talk about stories as a moment because one of the big mistakes people make in their storytelling is they think they're telling a story, but actually they're just summarizing a whole part of their life. They're saying things like, yeah, like I, First I, I did volleyball. This and then this, and, and I'm just cutting off because I deal with this problem all the time. I have guests on all my shows and I have yeah. to tell them, look, a story means like a moment in time, not I did yeah. this and then this and this and yeah. this. Yes. Yeah. That's not a story. You're giving me your resume verbally Right, which is very, very different, or it's a summary. And and a story, like you said, Ryan, is truly one moment in time. Bring me to that moment in the gym, right? That is one moment in time. That moment on the playground where Judy whistled at us, right? So if you can do that moment well, it ignites the visual imagination of your audience and they are sucked in. They don't even know yet what it is that you want to tell them, but they are curious and they're bought in to the journey. Like, oh, what's going to happen, right? So if we tell the story right, your moment sets you up beautifully 
or the second M, which is meaning. And meaning is where you get to shape perspective. Like the question you're asking yourself is you're figuring out what is the meaning that I want to articulate here is why would your audience care about that story you just told? Why does it matter to them? So what, right? Your job as a speaker is to articulate that so what to shape understanding and perspective and meaning. So that is the second piece. And then the third piece is move. And essentially it's teeing people up for what is the very next thing that they do from here. So after they're like, oh, I get it. Interesting. What's next for them? What's the next move that they make? And, you know, sometimes it looks like a call to action, but sometimes it's just a question or an invitation. We don't want to overthink that part too much or over, you know, choreograph it because it, it, that can be the part where it like feels the most awkward. It's like, don't overthink it. You're just inviting people into what is next. Don't leave people hanging like, here's a thought and here's what I think it means. It's It feels unfinished without the move. So if I'm understanding correctly, the moment is actually the full story. So like I'm imagining a big M that's like big and stretched. And then within yeah. that large M, you do have the meaning, which probably is towards the very tail end of the story or, or something yeah. there. And yeah. then the move is at the very, very end. It's like a little M at the, at the very tip. Yeah. Because initially I thought even parts, but in listening to you, it's really the moment is the big chunk and that's the story. Yeah. And then you've got weaved in those two other elements. Yeah. I appreciate your pointing that out because obviously how and how long and what it looks like is going to be very context dependent, very much so. However, you know, what I think is important to distinguish here is when we want to persuade people, it's not just about the story because I've worked with speakers sometimes who are like, I'm just going to tell the story and let, let them figure out the meeting. Let the audience sort of pick at the meeting as they want. There's something beautiful about that. And sometimes that is the right choice. But as speakers, we're sort of shirking our responsibility, which is we get to shape perspective. That is literally why you have been hired, is to shape perspective and meaning and understanding. And so the story opens the door for that and allows people to connect with the idea, allows them, like I said, to feel it before you've even said anything about it. And once they're there with you, what are you going to do with their attention, their interest, their curiosity? Like you get to take them from there and shape it going forward. Very cool. I want to dig in a little bit to each three because I've got whether well, there's questions slash comments for each. So right. for the moment, one thing that I have found helpful in, in pulling these moment stories out with literally hundreds and hundreds of attempts of talking with somebody to try to convince yeah. them to tell a moment story. Yeah. The phrase inciting incident is really strong because if you ask somebody like think of an inciting incident, like the moment where not where you were feeling sort of heavier and holiday, but the moment when you couldn't fit your pants on like that moment. And it's like when literally you can't do the button, like that yeah. is the moment that yes. is that inciting incident. Yes. And so for speakers out there and for our listeners, like it's still hard, I think, for somebody who's not versed in the craft of storytelling to either choose the right story or it just defaults to like, well, I got to set it up. So first I was here, then I was here. But your inciting incident was the moment where someone was getting a noogie. You're like, oh, shit, I got to change it up. And then you move the story forward. So that idea of an inciting incident, I feel, is always helpful because if you find that, that's like the crux of part of where the story comes from. So I think that's a cool thing to add to your moment. And also, I find a lot of people don't know how to structure. And this, in what you're saying, becomes this context, right? Do I have 30 seconds? Or do I have an hour or do I have 30 minutes or whatnot? But I look at storytelling with orienting, maybe storienting. I make up a new word here. Ooh. If you physically <laughs> walk into a new room without even knowing it, you're like, feels pretty sturdy on the ground. I'm not going to fall through the floor. I see a window over there in case there's a fire. I can exit. The ceiling is, oh, there's a ceiling fan, but nope, I'm not going to hit it. Okay, there's a really bright light over there. There's plant like you're literally assessing everything. And only when you actually have like assessed it all in a matter of fractions of seconds, you're like, oh, I'm comfortable in this room now. And I can actually like 
Now I can focus. So I always help people with their storytelling to describe the room people are in. It's the who is there, what is happening, why is it happening, how are things going down, and what is that incident? So your classic like who, what, when, where, why, how. That's a really great framework to work on. Mm -hmm. And when you add the inciting incident to it, it sort of can compile. And then what you did in your storytelling of the playground is that if you want to add, if you want to pump it up, little whatever your story is, you play to the senses. So I heard the pebbles. Mm -hmm. I saw the glimmering light. I felt the wind through my hair. So all of your Mm. senses, you can sit there and just, I could hear the seagulls and I could smell the ocean and it's just like layered on top of it. So I love the idea of the moment, an inciting incident. And then if you set the tone of the room people are in, they're invested in what's happening as opposed to where they're at. And so if you forget to mention who was there, they'll be like, wait, like they'll be guessing that. So just throwing that out there, I'm I'm sure I'm just speaking to the choir, but I'm really just speaking to our audience, at least how I kind of help to approach that. Cause it is, it's a formula. Well, and you're talking about all the details that help it become a visually interesting experience for the audience, for them to start to imagine it in their heads and to see it and to feel it. It cannot just be a description of here's exactly what happened. You're missing all of the painting that we create with our words. We really get to create the visual image. So I love everything that you said. I think uh, I just want to add this is that sometimes when we are creating our story, we need to work backwards from, or, or let me put it this way. We need to know exactly where this story is going. Right. So one of the big mistakes that I often see is it's, I call it daisy talking. People are like kind of getting at the point and then they're getting at the point again and they're getting at the point this way and they're getting at the point this way and they're getting at the point this way. And their story takes this winding route instead of knowing exactly the moment that you are moving towards. We've got to just really know the destination of your story. So like you said, it's the moment where you're like, I cannot button my pants. You don't necessarily have to start with that, but you need to know exactly where it's going. And then it gives you a filter to decide what belong, what helps me get to that moment and what doesn't. Oh, it turns out Uncle Bobby's comment is really important. But my cousin who, you know, was there with me when I was buttoning my jeans, I actually don't need this extra character in the story. That's confusing and it helps it's hiding this moment. And I just, I want to crystallize it for people. So knowing where you're going is really, really essential. Yeah. And that ties into the meaning. And my comment on that, a friend of mine and and fellow speaker is a gentleman named James Taylor, and he's fantastic. He talks about creativity. And one of the structures for storytelling that, that I really took from him is you tell your story, all the stuff we talked about, And at that moment, you then transition it back to the audience and say, the reason I'm telling you this is because, and Mm -hmm. there's your meaning, there's that lesson. But unless you have that transition, at least what I've found, this whole daisy effect, they might not know where the story stops because they're not sure. And so, you know, you have your punchline, this sort of moment where you know you need to go and say, look, the reason I'm telling you the story about sailing is because, yes, sailboats need wind to move, but you need ideas to move up in your career or you need this. So that transition, I think, is really helpful for that meaning of where to fit it into that big M. Yeah, and the key word there is the you. Yeah. Right, so it's it's taking this thing that was personal to you and connecting it and making it meaningful for anybody who's, you know, listening or is a part of the audience in some way. And without that, our stories are real vanity. It's like, oh, I'm just telling this story. Now, you might have an intention for other people to to experience it. But it's one of those things where people are like, will say to me, I feel weird talking about myself. I'm like, you are just the tool. Your story is the container for empathy and connection. We want, if your audience does not go, I get it. I feel that story. Here's what it means to me. Like it should still feel like a very audience centered experience. 
But without that meaning part, it often doesn't. It kind of is lacking that connection point. So some of the words that I listen for to know if this is the meaning part is the word you. You. What about you? Or here's why this might connect with you. Or here's why I'm telling you this, right? Those words tell me, okay, this person's now taking this personal story and it's not actually about, it's not actually about Sally. It's not actually about Ryan. It's about the audience and their connection to what we're saying. Love it. Now the final comment on the final move part. Yeah. Is that always necessary? Because if I'm thinking back to your high school story, you definitely had the moment, you definitely had the meaning, but I'm thinking like, again, maybe it's contextual because I was learning about you and it sort of the well, is the move it, part, the always... move part is coming up at the end of this podcast where I'm going to say, hey, grab the book, <laughs> right? Okay, so, so so then the move doesn't necessarily have to be within that big M of the story. No, yeah. I mean, so think the, of these three elements as when you put them together into one context, they're going to help move people from thinking to decision, to action, Right. So, so it is the call to action, but it doesn't have to be at the end of the story. So just visually, because people are listening yeah, here, yeah, you have this yeah. big, large M that's like, you know, if you're looking at the a story, like yeah. this huge arching M, and then somewhere in that, there's the little M for the meaning. And then mm-hmm. not necessarily within that sort of the McDonald's arch of the M, <laughs> yeah. it could be, like you said, it could be the very last thing yeah. that you've gotten. Your collective stories have allowed yeah. you to be in a position where I yeah. say, how can people learn more about you? You're like, yeah. this is my move. And then yeah. you make the move. Exactly. Exactly. Every context is going to look a little bit different. You know, if you think about it from a panel perspective, right, you may not have the opportunity to do much more than you might start one answer with a moment and you might not be able to do moment meaning and move all in that one, all in that one opportunity you have to answer. But then when somebody comes back, you can expand on the meaning piece, right? And then ideally the move piece is not necessarily, it's not about like, join me here or I'm on LinkedIn. Maybe, maybe there's an opportunity to do that, but it may just, be a challenge for the audience. My my hope for all of you moving forward is that you would think about this or do this or consider this, right? So, you know, I like to think of the way that these three elements work together is going to look super different depending on the context. The important thing is that you do have all three of those together. And it's a story, it's a story soup. My wife just made this amazing soup the other days. And you just said this, it's something, I think you said super or something, but like, this is a story soup, right? I mean, yeah. there you, you mixing the ingredients and even within yeah. your bowl, you have different layers of stuff. So yeah. I'm not going to yeah. ask you to go change your book name from, you know, story, to, uh, from speaking, <laughs> speaking story to story soup. Story soup. <laughs> maybe that's your next one. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Don't say that yet. Ryan. Well, let's transition because you're at a really interesting spot right now as a speaker because you have a new book. And so I always like to ask people like what's working, what's not working when it comes to actually you're building your business. Now, I am not somebody who is trying to hard sell people on a dream of a $10,000 keynote if you join yeah. a certain program or buy a certain product. I know from my own experience, it's not that easy. It's years and years of grinding and relationship building and networking and inbound, outbound content creation, all that. But for you now with a new book that by the time people are listening, they can grab this, but how does that lead to you getting more stages? Like what is your approach? What is, what do you think is going to work? Cause I've published a book and my goodness, there's a lot involved with that. And there's a lot of promotion (laughs) And a lot of launch, and you're asking people to move so many ways and so many times. It's like, how is that working out? Yeah. Yeah. Well, from from a speaking business perspective, having a book is helpful. It's not necessary, but it's helpful. And here's the role. I just want to share if this is at all helpful for your listeners. The role that it's playing in my business is not, uh, I'm not going for the New York Times bestselling list. I know that this book is not going to bring in a ton of money. I I know that. I spent money making the book. Oh, and so much time, so much Mm -hmm. time. So it's a long game margin approach, right? This is an authority builder. 
this is a, uh, you know, in the same way that I say I have a podcast and people go, wow, cool. <laughs> You're like, you know, anybody can start a podcast, but <laughs> But for the record, like 90 plus percent will never make it past seven episodes. And so everybody right. can start, but not everybody continues. <laughs> so true. So true. So true. Um, spoken like a prolific podcaster. And and I'm with you on that. Like I earned those 350 episodes. It's like, oh, yeah. So I'll take the authority from that for sure. And the book plays a, a similar role. However, from the speaking business perspective, especially, how great to just add this to the mix when you're pitching someone or when you're pulling together your proposals to be able to say, you know, for, you know, you can buy this many books and, you know, it can leverage it at conferences. You can add it to your partnerships and proposals. Like that's how, that's the role that it's playing in my business right now is, uh, you know, like in December, it was a great opportunity to reach back out to all of the people I've spoken to and with in the last two or three years. I sent them a book. I sent them a little gift and it's brought in new business. So it's, um, you know, it's a relationship connector. It's a relationship deepener. It's an authority builder. And, you know, my next handful of speaking gigs, it's like, okay, I'm shipping books out. I can sell books in the space or they're buying books just simply as a part of the contract and agreement outright, which is awesome. Ideal, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. No, these are good things. And I think from the outside, if people haven't written a book, sometimes they might think that it can be an overnight game changer or that they could make some sort of New York Times bestselling list. But by the way, these days, in order to get a New York Times bestselling, you're investing two, $300,000 in a book campaign yeah. to do that. Yeah. Like it's insane. Yeah. Also, yeah. Mythbuster, you're not going to make a whole bunch of money on your books. True. <laughs> you also have to pause here to talk about traditionally published and self-published. So I had a traditionally published with McGraw-Hill Business, and that was yeah. its own experience, right? We get yeah. we get paid to do it, but it's also a two and a half, almost three-year process. There's lots of editing. There's lots of approvals. There's lots of, I'd say, creativity challenges, right? Because you're working with somebody right. who's paid you to do it. Yeah. Now, self-publishing is you have so much more control. So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming this is self-published? I did a hybrid model, okay. actually, which I completely think is a brilliant way to have a little bit of both. So this, um, I worked with a company called Wise Inc. So I am paying in the same way that you're self-publishing where it's like, okay, I'm investing all my own capital to do this. I'm yeah. investing all my own time. So very similarly, this all came from me. I didn't get paid to write my book. I invested in the process. They, though, provide the editors, the publishers, the cover artists, the support along the way, marketing consulting. So you're getting some of the resources and expertise and support of a traditional publisher, but you've got a little more freedom because ultimately they're like, it's your book. It's your, yeah. it's your money. We just want to help you get there. So it's, it's a slightly different model, but it's been great. But like you said, you've got to be really thoughtful about whether it's the right time, if you've got the energy to invest in it and money to invest in it and keeping in mind, this is a long game. Like I'm seeing this as a margin increaser. It is not you know, uh, the line item for book revenue is, it's, yeah. it's you know. <laughs> well, I drive a Prius, so I love the hybrid. Don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> but this is, uh, this is just good for people to know because if you just don't, you yeah. don't know what you don't know. So traditionally published yeah. is really yeah. difficult because usually it's them reaching out to you or you're, there's a lot of pitching and you have to really sell oh, it. Yeah. And then they have control. Uh, funny story. They bought the book. And then the first thing they did is like, yeah, we're gonna have to change the name. It's like, what you just, but so it's just like you, you sort of lose these yeah. elements and it all works out. But this hybrid sounds very interesting. I'm definitely interested in self-publishing. I just started a publishing company myself to then publish oh. under my own. It's going to be Stick Figure Press. And I draw cool. a lot of stick figures. And I have five books that I've written over the last three years. I was going to release them as NFTs, super bullish on the crypto and blockchain space. But then we went into yeah. a crypto winter. So and <laughs> the, whole, the whole book NFT never really caught on yeah. And so I've just decided to get them across, but I didn't want to deal with the publisher. 
And yeah, yeah so there's there's a number of ways to skin these yeah. different, uh, yeah, I don't want to yeah. skin a cat, but to skin the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, it makes me think back to high school when you used to actually cover the books. Do you remember that? Yes. Like, right? You just get to put your own cover on, draw it with a paper bag oh, and stuff like kids that. Kids these days, they're really missing out. Yes. There's no like getting the paper grocery bag and taping it up and then you could draw all over it, write all over it. Like, no. Our good old days have gone, but the good old days continue to change. And that's what's so important. Yeah. And I think yeah. if we were to come full circle, no matter where you are in life as a speaker, your audience is not always in the same spot. They may be in fourth grade. They may be in ninth grade. They may be way your senior. I've spoken to executive groups that are super intimidating, but you're just like, like, you know, I'm not in their spot, but how can I help yeah. them? Story is the glue yeah. that holds it all together because yes. you and I just in our flash of mind's eye, we had all these visions of folding our books together and you get really good at it. And like, like yeah. we share that experience, but now maybe it's yeah. a TikTok experience or maybe now yeah. it's a you know, something or other. So yeah. stories are constantly evolving. And that's why I am just so excited about your book to empower people with using storytelling as a way to influence and influence. You say persuade, I say influence. Yes. Yep. My favorite definition people. is to help change the way people think and then get them to take action. Those two elements together can be persuasive. And if you are sharing stories through these moments and they do have specific meaning and yeah. it can help people to make that move. Yeah. You can be somebody who is completely different than your audience, but still connect as a human about a story once on upon a time. Yeah. It's uh, just to put a little bow on that. Yeah. A beautiful summary. One of the, the most just optimistic things that I feel right now is through stories because of stories, because as divisive as the world is right now and as challenging it is sometimes to see people who we think are really different from us and think that we have things in common, when we can articulate a truth, a, just a human truth in a story, and we bring our stories down to the most human elements, we will recognize each other in our stories and say, I thought I had an idea of who you are, but now I've heard your story. And now I see you differently. I see us differently as a community. And that gives me hope right now. And that I think in terms of the role that stories can play, I think of it really on a big scale. It's not just to persuade that one person in your audience, which can be transformative and world-changing, absolutely. But also, how do we really see each other differently in big and powerful ways? And as your speaking career increases and you are put on more podiums, it becomes yeah. more important. And to your point about sort of how we relate as a human race, the best thing somebody can do in your audience is afterwards be like, you know what? She's a lot more like me than I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Checks you out. are a lot more like me than I thought. And we've <laughs> got similar stories from covering books to dealing with unattentive teens. And less than that, I would suggest to maybe turn down the fourth grade requests unless you have a real good story and strategy. Uh, <laughs> but Sally Z, this has, been, this has been fun. I'm so glad that we connected. And congratulations on your new book. I know how hard that is to get across the line, but now it's across. So now it's about your next book, but not yet. Now it's about this book. So tell us how people can get it. This will likely air in time with what you're talking about. So this will air pretty soon here. So it's relevant. Right. Here's your time to make us move. What are you going to say? Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me on, Ryan. I'm super passionate about this, obviously. And so if you are somebody who wants to speak a better story and wants to dive in deeper to of the nerding out that Ryan and I got to do a little bit today. The book is available starting February 13th is when it officially launches 2024. So you can pre-order now. And what I think is cool is great. Get the book. You can go to bemoved.com, B-E-M-O-V-E-D.com and grab the book. You can see it right there on the front page. But if you are really like, okay, I'm a take action person, I'm a get in the weeds person, 
then I would invite you to come join us in the Movers Society, which is where we are nerding out together all about this book. There's fun, free swag, all of the fun things. So go to the same place, go to bemoved.com and click on the book info and it'll invite you right into the Movers Society. So come join us. It'd be really fun. Boom. Who doesn't like a good swag and community of like-minded know, nerds? Right? Exactly. To all, to all our speaker nerds out there. Well, thank you so much. And for all of our speaker nerds and for you as a speaker nerd, Speaker Hub, which is a sponsor and has been the sponsor of the show for about four years now, which is super exciting. They have an awesome platform to help you be found as a speaker, to have a splash page as a speaker, to create your one pagers as a speaker. We've done a lot of work on the back end to make it speaker friendly. And we know there's a lot of speaker platforms out there. But if you are interested in, you know, building a website is too soon for you or you have a website, but you're looking for more inbound traffic or you want to explore call for speakers and actually get out there and knock on some doors. Speaker Hub is a great way to do it. So check that out. And if you want to nerd out with me at all, I've got two other podcasts. If you like sailing, you can check out Good Jibes. And if you like core messaging, I've got my 313 challenge and all of this. You can find if you simply remember my name when you're searching online. My website is ryan.online. So if you are moved to either hang out with Sally Z or me, you now know what to do. Sally, good luck. I know that the next couple of months are going to be chaos. And then hopefully you'll be able (laughs) to pump the brakes um, with a very busy calendar of speaking on the stages you want. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Ryan. It was so fun. So fun to see you again and be here. And thanks for nerding out with me. Totally Always nerd. ready to nerd out about totally, totally. Story. All right. Well, uh, every time you see www, everybody think that you can just flip them as an MMM, big M with a little M, and then another tiny M that ends up wherever you can make people move. That's it. That's what I've got. Thank you, Sally Z. We'll talk to everybody soon. Find us, follow us, and we'll talk later. Adios. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Literally, we're about to end. And actually, we did end. And then yeah. Sally Z was like, I'm so happy you mentioned Speaker Hub. And then I asked yeah. to put the recording back on. So tell us about Speaker yeah. Hub. You say you like it. I do. I love Speaker Hub. I mean, I'm involved in all of the things. I've got my name in all of the places. But Speaker Hub is the one that sends me the most leads. And that is not just true for me. It's also true for my speakers. I'm always like, if you know, there's a lot you can do. Do Speaker Hub first. Boom. All right. Now we'll let you go. But thank you, for that. thank you for that uh, that endorsement there. I'm sure yeah, Speaker you Hub crew will be excited. And you know what? If you can't be found online, how is anybody going to find you? So if you're out there and you're motivated to tell your stories and make people move, then get over to Speaker Hub and see what happens. All right. Now we're really going to awesome. go. All right. Bye. <laughs> okay. Bye.